last week we talked about um, that God is establishing a kingdom. And in every kingdom, there is a ruler, there is a citizenry, and there is a territory. Uh, when the world was created, uh, the, the ruler was God. Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein of it. Everything. It all belongs to God. That means uh, the earth, like the creation and the inhabitants of that creation, they all belong to God. God is the ruler. By nature, that then makes uh, all of creation the citizenry of God's kingdom. And then the territory, again, and once again, is all creation. Sin enters the world, mars that creation breaks it and what God's or what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is reestablishing his kingdom rule and reign as God of all creation. Um, and so in the kingdom of God, Jesus is our ruler. Uh, people who profess faith in Jesus, who display the qualities we see in verses 3 through 10 in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, that's the citizenry and, the, crea- and the, uh, the territory. Once again, we're aiming to make it all of creation again. And so Jesus in this moment is addressing the crowds and addressing what life looks like in the kingdom. So he begins with what we talked about last week with identifying what the kingdom, who the kingdom is going to be made up of. And it's not going to be the, the power brokers. It's not going to be the people who have everything put together. In fact, the kingdom is, is made up by and large of people who are just undone. The people that are showing mercy and vulnerability and humility and brokenness. These are the people that says uh, that Jesus says, I approve them. They are in my kingdom. And then from this point forward, Jesus establishes that at the beginning. And from this point forward, he's going to begin to lay out, okay, that's who's in my kingdom. Now I need you to understand this is what life in my kingdom is is going to look like. Once you have an encounter with Jesus, you leave that encounter so radically transformed and changed uh, that that then this is going to be then the outpouring of your life. We're going to read in in a couple of minutes. Um, But one of the things is uh, we're going to read in in starting in verse 13 through 16. And it says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he goes down to verse uh, 14. You are the light of the world. Meaning to the people he's preaching to, the people that he is talking to there on the hillside and then here now today, these are not things that we ought to become. These are things that we already get to embody because of the transforming work and power of Jesus. And so he's setting these expectations for us. And by nature of us choosing to surrender and follow Jesus, we stand with this in mind. This isn't something that we have to work towards. This is something that we get to embody because of the work of Jesus in us. Richard Rohr says this, these are descriptors of a changed life, not prescriptions to a changed life. We got to start with the Jesus piece if we want the world to go, uh, like a lot of people look at this, you're going to hear teachings like turn the other cheek, Uh, you're going to hear teachings like give away the stuff that you have, you're going to hear teachings like that, those are great Like, the world would be better off if more people did that, but that's not the end in itself. The end in itself is Jesus. And when we've oriented our lives in a particular way where where we orient them to the person and work of Jesus and we become subservient to him, knowing that he is God of all creation, uh, all things were made by him and for him, then this is the outpouring of that reorientation in our lives. (coughs) And so what does he tell us? 
is the result of this transformation then? Here's what he says. Uh, Pop with me. We're going to read. It was on the screen. We'll read uh, verse 13 through 16 together. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think the average person who is not following Jesus, who's outside of what we'll call the church, in order for them to say, I'm going to give this whole Jesus thing a try, they need to, uh, I heard this in a different context, I think it's just spot on for where we're at today. They need to believe two things, two fundamental truths about uh, the reality that God's displaying here. They need to believe that the gospel, the good news that Jesus, uh, that we were sinful, separated from God, and that through the work of Jesus, we can be reconciled back to the creator of all things. Uh, in order to believe that, they need to believe that the gospel is true. And they need to believe that the gospel is beautiful. They need to believe that the gospel is true, and they need to believe that the gospel is beautiful. And I think Jesus pinpoints both of these things for us in saying, okay, this is who the citizenry of, of heaven is in the Beatitudes. How then should we live? He says, you are the salt of the earth. And I think he says, when you are the salt of the earth, I think what he's getting at is the gospel is true. If you think about what salt did specifically in the time that Jesus is preaching on this hillside, the purpose of salt was purity, preservation, an avoidance of rot and carnage. It's protecting, specifically meat, from rot and decay. Ferguson Sinclair, I held up a little green book last, uh, last week, says this, Christians who whose lives exhibit the qualities of blessed, as we talked about in the Beatitudes, will have a preserving impact upon a society that, if left to itself, will rot and deteriorate. Without the influence of the gospel, society will suffer moral decay and become putrid, unfit for the consumption of good men and women. So our obligation as Jesus followers is to purify the world that we come in contact with. And if not, it will be, if left to itself, it turns itself over to rot and decay. And so we purify, and we don't purify. I think one of the things that uh, people looking into the church uh, see and feel most oftentimes is that we come to the table wanting to purify because we're better than them. We've got our life figured out. This is the right way. Uh, but we purify not because we are better than. We purify because uh, we have also been purified. We've been purified through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so then we're offering that same purification to others. Because of the work of Jesus, we've been washed clean. We've been made new. And we have been rescued from death and preserved then unto life. So our obligation as Jesus is out, laying it out here becomes to pass on that purity to others. 
it's a fun pastime for me. My weekends don't, uh, don't turn themselves over to too many kids' activities or activities of my own. It's to wake up real early on Saturday morning and throw a pork butt on my smoker, okay? Um, now, the purpose of a smoker is to go low heat over long periods of time so that uh, fundamentally the, you take a really tough cut of meat and it, it, the, the low heat over a long period of time begins to break down all that connective tissue and fat and everything and makes just the juiciest, juiciest, most delicious bite of pork, beef, fill in the blank, whatever you, that you've ever had. Uh, one thing that you can do to aid in this process is uh, a salt rub. Now, a lot of people, when they're begin in entering into the barbecue uh, hobby, uh, think that the salt rub is flavor only, okay? That you're just picking out, I, I, I like this because it tastes the most delicious. I like this because uh, it makes it spicy. I like this because it makes it sweet. But at its core, the salt, given long enough to act on that piece of meat, uh, the salt has a, an ability on a molecular level to enter into the cell structure of that piece of meat. And what it's doing is it's, uh, it's uh, taking salt and water don't like each other, okay? And so when salt enters into the cell of that meat, it takes the water out, and the water is one of the things in the cell of, of the meat that... Uh, loves to lend itself to the rotting and the degradation and all of that stuff. And so by salting it, um, you remove the possibility for rot because it's pulling all of the moisture, all of the water, all of, of the bacteria that's found in the water out of the meat. And so back when Jesus is preaching, there's no refrigerators, ice, that sort of stuff. The, the way they're preserving meat that it doesn't go bad for long periods of time is salting it. So when the people on the hillside are hearing this, they're, they're immediately thinking of the, the preservation and the purity that comes, uh, that you're not losing an entire leg uh, of, of meat to, uh, to the elements or to time because you're able to then ration it out over long periods of time because you salted it. So Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth. And in doing so, he points at his citizenry of his kingdom. And he says, it is up to you guys to, uh, to preserve the world around you from rot and decay. That means that at the end of the day, we as Jesus followers need to stand for the principles that Jesus talks about. We can have no wavering in the stances that we take and go, going like the gospel is true. God is true. God's way is true. And we ought to stand for it because we are the salt of the earth. Given over to the human condition, given over to itself, what the world uh, will do is, is, is drift towards this, this rot and this decay and, and given uh, enough inhibitions in themselves, this depravity that we see uh, in the book of Judges where there's, there's no leader. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes and it begins to become this cycle that goes downward and downward and downward. And we have an obligation as Jesus followers to say, no, there's a better way. 
There's a better way, and yes, that way is purity, and yes, that way is God's way, but I'm going to be here, and I'm going to stand with the world in the midst of the rot and in the midst of the decay. We are the salt of the earth, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about our preservation, and here's the thing about us uh, saying um, we ought to be preserving and purifying the world around us. If I've got a pork butt, pork shoulder in my fridge, and I've got salt in my cupboard, what sort of preservation cross-pollinates between those two in their respective locations? Any? Oh, you, you guys are very wise. There's, there is no such thing as Bluetooth purification, okay? There is a particular proximity that comes into play when we are to go and purify the world around us. And the same is then true for us. We cannot be a preserving force for godliness in the world if we are distant from the world, let me say that one more time. We cannot be a preserving force of godliness in the world if we are distant from the world. There's a, there's a uh, gut reaction when things get hard. There's a situation I won't share too much about, but uh, back in our neighborhood uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, Amanda and I looked at each other and we were like, I don't know, do we look for another house? Do we, like, what, what, do we, what do we do in the midst of this? And one of the things, and I'm not going to stand in front of you because I'd be lying if I said uh, we're never going to move ever. We're planting, I don't know. We might end up on the north side of Danville. We might end up on the south side, the east side, the west side. I don't know. But here's the reality that I kept coming back to. When there is darkness in the world, when there is brokenness in the world, when it seems like you see a part of the world that is rotting to its core, as Jesus followers, that is where we are needed the most. There is a tendency for us to buy the acreage to get out in a more comfortable, greener pastures, to remove ourselves so we can, we're going to go out and build our compound. Uh, we're going to go be isolated so that our lives don't ever have to interact. And listen, you can, you can live four miles south of town and be just as salty in the good way as the person that lives downtown. I'm not telling you where to live geographically, but what I see is, is these two things conflated with like, we're going to remove ourselves from this situation so that I don't ever have to experience hard, or difficult or rotten things. If every Jesus follower takes that mentality, if we just bunker this place up and we all camp out here, the world is not getting the preserving power of the gospel lived out through us. So does the world seem ugly and broken? Of course it does. Of course it seems like it's rotting from the inside out. But our response to that as Jesus' followers to, should be then to draw near to the brokenness, to draw near to the ugly parts, to draw near to the rot, because we're the salt of the earth. By, by mere nature of us bringing Jesus into situations with us, 
We get to uh, <coughs> empower people to live out and, and to be preserved and to point towards holiness and to stand for something, to say that the gospel we believe is true, that there are standards for life. Our world needs this when, when, when stuff's flaunting around left and right and everyone's, and the notion is like, speak your truth, believe whatever you want. That, that means nothing. There has to be an, an objective truth. And what Jesus is saying is, here is, by nature of you being the salt of the earth, you get to stand for the objective truth that God gives for us. And no, it's not always going to be popular. And sometimes when salt comes into contact with rot, it's going to hurt. But that doesn't remove the responsibility from us to be the salt that Jesus is asking us to be here. You know what salt doesn't do, though? If I can extend the metaphor a little bit further. When it's purifying, rot, preventing, that sort of stuff. Salt doesn't condemn. It doesn't stand around on the piece uh, of food that it's preserving going like, you are disgusting. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. This is vile. This is disgusting. No. And in fact, when Jesus came face to face with rot and moral decay in the world, what did he say? He said, Where are Think of the woman caught in adultery, gets thrown before him, embarrassed, ashamed. Jesus gently picks her up. What's his response to her? He says, Where's your accusers? Where's, your con- where, where's the people condemning you? He says, they're, they're, She says, they're, they're gone. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. There's grace, there's empathy, there's compassion, there's understanding, but there is not wavering on what is right. We get to be, as Jesus followers, we get to be the better way pointers, going, I know this seems fun right now. I know this seems like it's life-giving, but I promise you it's not going to be able to stand up against the weight and the pressures of life. And so we point, we point the, to the better way, which is Jesus. I know I've, uh, I've probably beat this into you guys' skulls enough, but I'll keep doing it. If the only difference between us and someone not following Jesus is our presence here at 2915 Townway Road on Sunday mornings, we are not being faithful to Jesus. The only difference between us and someone uh, out there not even beginning to profess faith is church attendance. We're not, we're not doing it right. We are to, to be preserving entities in the world. To find something inside of you that God has put a burden on your heart for. As you look around, you go, this is rotten, this is ugly, this is putrid, this is not God's plan, and you go be the salt in those areas. There's people working in schools here, there's people working in healthcare here, there's government officials here, there's business owners here, there's people in the public sector, the private sector, there's homemakers, there's everything here. You find something in your life that is rotten and you go preserve it in the name of Jesus. Jesus warns us to not get desalinated. If salt loses its saltiness, it's pretty much pointless at that point. Might as well chuck it out. It doesn't, doesn't do, uh, the whole point of salt is that it is salty. 
I remember hearing uh, stories, and this has always been the example I've gone back to. Planet Fitness has done wonderful things, not, not the Danville one specifically, but as a, as a chain. Done wonderful things about making people who are a little bit intimidated to enter into a gym or workout space come, be a part. But there was a certain... I don't want to question business practices. They're smarter than me. I don't own it. Uh, there was a certain point, though, where there was like a really popular thing for Planet Fitnesses to do uh, is to throw pizza parties. And I was like, aren't you kind of losing like what you're there for if you, and this is what Jesus is, is warning against. And again, there, there's, just, there's an objective truth that we have to stand for. So in our interactions with the world, Jesus is saying, don't lose your saltiness. Don't become so like the world around you that you lose what the unique characteristics about you. Kent Hughes says this, we need to ask ourselves, is there any difference between our approach to materialism, for example, than that of the world? Are there any distinctions in our approach to pleasure than that of the unsaved? Do we approach happiness differently? Is there any difference in the application of ethics? Does our compassion know the limitations of the world, or is it stronger? Once again, if the only difference between you and someone not following Jesus is your presence here on Sunday morning, you are always welcome in this space. But I just, I want to go ahead and draw the line that you are not being faithful to the invitation of Jesus. So we stand for something that the gospel is true, that the gospel lived out in our lives is true, and it means something. If I stop there, there's a lot of people that come into my mind that are great truth tellers, but their empathy score, their compassion score, it's pretty terrible. Have you ever met someone that, uh, and here's their MO, okay? I knew a guy one time, he was, I was, it was probably my first year in pastoral ministry. He sat down with me, and he said some really mean things about my age, about my character. And I went, sir, that's like, I was with uh, Jim Martin, who I talk about often, and uh, he was kind of mediating the meeting. I was like, that was really unkind. And he just went, that's just the way God made me, tell the truth. And I went, no, no, it's not. That's not even remotely true because if the gospel is true but is not beautiful, people will want to have nothing to do with it. Gospel is true and the gospel is beautiful. So Jesus lays out, you are the salt of the earth. The gospel is true. Stand for something. And simultaneously, he says, you don't have to only live in the truth because we get to, this is a thing that I've really been focusing on lately. There's so much nuance in our following to Jesus. There's far less black and white than, than people assume because we get to live in both camps that the gospel is true and the gospel is beautiful. So we're not constantly having to beat people's head in with scripture, but instead we get to go, no, there's an invitation from Jesus to receive and accept and so he says, you are the salt of the earth. Purify, uh, purify, purify. And simultaneously, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Imagine with me, it's hard to get into these situations because we live in such a light pollution world, but if any of you have ever gone camping in like remote areas or anything of that nature, imagine with me, 
like pitch blackness. Like the, the, the type of like suffocating, all-consuming dark. Where you can't find a way out. When you shine a beam of light, turn on a flashlight in that room, what happens? It's light. This is factual. You can back it up. I don't stand on math and science very often because I'm not good at it. Uh, but this is one that I feel comfortable saying on. Light will always, no matter how dim, light will always overpower darkness. Light will always overpower darkness. Darkness can never outdark the light. John said in, in the first chapter of his gospel, when Jesus entered the world, that that light entered into the darkness and the darkness was unable to overcome it. And so the same is true then of us as Jesus followers. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. And here's why it's such a beautiful analogy to give to us. We talk about the gospel being true, but that's a pretty stifling thing to go. There's some hard realities of purity and holiness that we need to come in contact with. And simultaneously, we get to be hope givers in saying that, that there is light in the midst of the darkness that we are experiencing in the world. And we radiate our light as Jesus followers into a world of darkness and brokenness and depravity. And we show that the gospel is hope, filled with hope and beauty and transformation. That it takes dead things and it brings them back to life. That it takes things and people that were far off and it brings them close. That there is hope in the darkest hours that we experience, in the darkest places that we can imagine, that there is hope inside of those places. There's meaning, there's purpose, and God is present there also. We shine our light in the darkness. And here's the hope that we have as Jesus followers, as light shiners. You're, we're guaranteed success of shining our light. We're guaranteed that when we show up to dark places and we're not always gonna know the right things to do, we're not always gonna know the right things to say, but merely by our presence and bringing Jesus, we get to offer a hope that is beyond the circumstances that are creating the darkness in any given situation. I found that most people as I have conversations, as I read, as I look around, most people are not opposed to, um, to like God, Christianity, the whole Jesus thing, because of any foundational claims that Jesus makes. I think there's a handful of people that go, I struggle with the divinity of Jesus, you fill in the blank. Most people are not opposed to faith in God through Jesus because of God or Jesus. You know what I find why people are, uh, have some disdain for the church and organized religion? It's because of people who aren't light shiners. The church has not offered the hope and the restoration of the gospel. And it's been a, like, it's been a, a reoccurring theme. 
And I'm not even talking about us specifically, but by nature of us being connected to Jesus followers around the world, uh, there's some ownership that we, have to, that we have to take for that. When the church has abused or hurt people in ways that they abuse the power and authority that God has given them, that's not bringing hope to darkness. That's bringing darkness to darkness. When the church has misprioritized um, their uh, priorities, politics, money, growth, you fill in the blank, whatever you hear most from the pulpit, that's the priority. Um, Whatever you hear most out in the lobby, those are the priorities. And when they get these things all mixed up and they put something ahead of Jesus, fill in the blank for whatever it is, that's not bringing hope to darkness. That's just trying to offer uh, a solution to the darkness with more darkness. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me, through him. So when we try and solve the problems of darkness with things other than Jesus, guess what we're going to get? More darkness. We dim the light of Jesus. We, We mar the testimony of the church. We are truth tellers and we are hope bringers. The gospel is true. The gospel is beautiful. We can't emphasize one over the other without uh, severely, severely, severely ruining our testimony. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. So just like I said at the end of uh, you're the salt of the earth. What are the dark places in your life? If I'm going to be honest, uh, they're probably uh, pretty similar to the rotten places in your life. Who's the person at your work that's, that's currently walking through divorce? That it's rotten and it's dark. And how as a Jesus follower do you get to bring truth and purity and simultaneously hope and beauty? Who do you know that is they're, they're struggling with addiction and maybe it's like a, a substance they're abusing, like a, an illicit drug or something of that nature, that you get to offer truth uh, and purity but also hope and beauty. Or maybe it's someone that you know that you're, they're just wrapped up and they're like, I can't go a day without cracking a can of beer. Truth and purity, hope and beauty. Someone experiencing loss, how can you purify that situation and simultaneously make it beautiful? Our testimony as Jesus followers is not our faithful attendance to this place. We're formed here. Like our souls are built in in this context and in the context of gathering with other believers. It's a good thing. I don't want to de-emphasize that. But our testimony to, uh, to the world around us is how we show up in the rotten and dark places. And this is what we ought to be about as Jesus followers. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. Pray with me. We're going to close with a worship song together. Father, we love you deeply. We thank you that the gospel is both true and and beautiful. Lord, that there are some objective realities that we can anchor our life on and simultaneously it offers us the hope of transformation. 
So even now, as we sing this last song, open our hearts and our, our minds to ways that you are wanting to use us both as salt and as light. Prepare those conversations and those opportunities even now. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. I ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. What conversation would you have? What person would you reach out to? Who would you invite over for dinner? If you knew that you could not fail. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Our light shines in the darkness as we radiate the light of Jesus for a world to, to see. We bring goodness and a light and mercy and grace and love and purity and holiness and all of it to every situation that we come in contact with. So if you were looking for permission to go do the thing, if you were looking for permission to have the hard conversation or, or, or to invite someone in, this is the permission I am giving you. Light shines in darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. John in the book of Revelation gives us a future hope of what's to come. City of God descends and he says, I did not see a temple in the holy city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city did not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of heaven and earth will bring their splendor to it. There is a day coming where we just get to rest in God's presence. Where we just get to see God and be with God and just enjoy being with him. But until that day, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So as you go in that reality, go in the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit.